Thank you for joining us for another edition of Behind the Editor's Curtain with Don Corrigan. Each edition focuses on points of interest relating to the environment and the community. And now, here's Don. All right, Environmental Echo is talking today with Dave Stokes. He's Executive Director of Great Rivers Habitat Alliance. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing great, Mr. Corgan. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, it's a pleasure, and there's a lot to talk about, especially with what's happened in the Merrimack River Basin in the last couple of years with what some people say are two 500-year floods and in the you know the time span of a couple of years so i know you've taken an interest in this there's been some meetings in fenton uh with business owners and residents who are concerned about this your organization has had a presence at those meetings what's your uh, impression of what kind of impact those meetings will have are, are citizens and businesses being heard is, is there going to be uh, some way to address these issues so we're not dealing with this year after year? Well, there's been different types of meetings. There's been two sort of, you would call them public meetings held by the city of Fenton. And I think those were both good meetings. At one, a number of the federal government and state agencies presented some facts about the flood to the public. And I think people found it informative. I, I think people wished it had gone a, a little bit further. But on the whole, I think both meetings, especially the second meeting, which was larger, was, a, as I said, productive and informative. There's also been a couple of smaller meetings of various types, and I don't, we haven't been at all of them. We've been at, at some, some of them, where some businesses and residents are trying to get together in, in sort of a grassroots way and, and start to demand solutions. So we've heard a couple different reactions from people that I'm happy to share with you. Just sort of, these would be reactions that I've heard from multiple people or multiple business owners separately. And one reaction, particularly from business owners, was at the flood a year and a half ago, the New Year's flood of 1516, a lot of them are like, well, that's, that's never happened before. We were out for a week or two weeks, or in some cases longer, really damaged by the flood in our business, but that was a freak occurrence, probably never happen again. And then sure enough, it happened again in a, a mere 16, 17 months later, in the exact same area at just about the exact same type of flood and those same businesses were damaged again and out for a week or two weeks or more again so a lot of those businesses you know the first time it was well freak event now it's we've got to do something about this sure, sure. this is going to keep happening yeah you know a lot a lot of the residents have been accusing the core of building the valley park levee too high and that that's pushed the water in the Sunset Hills and Fenton and Kirkwood and downstream, as, as well as causing problems upstream. I was riding my bike on that levee last night, and it just amazes me how the Merrimack River can get that high. How how that little Merrimack River now that that's just like two feet high and you can barely see it got all the way up to almost topping that levee. Was that levee built too high? Well, we think it was. Our organization didn't didn't so much. We funded. The, the work to, to measure it by some independent engineers that showed it, it was higher than we believe was, was authorized according to FEMA level of the 100-year floodplain. Now, the Corps disputes this, and the Corps says that it was not built too high. They would say it was built higher than expected in a few places to account for settlement of various types and that they simply used a different model when determining the 100-year floodplain from FEMA. Part of the problem is that, you know, different, org different groups, different agencies were giving us different information and giving the public different information at the times. So whether it was built too high or not, it is, I think it is more widely accepted that 
since that levy was built, along with other changes in the region, that the flooding has gotten a lot worse. Uh, that levy was just finalized a little over 10 years ago, uh, or about 10 years ago, and since then, we've seen dramatic increases in flooding in that area along the Merrimack. And it wasn't just gigantic rainfalls, although those two rainfalls for the two floods were, of course, extremely large. We've had enormous rain events before in this area, and it didn't lead to flooding like this. And that leads to the, the reaction I've generally gotten from residents in Eureka and Pacific and, and Fenton and Arnold, who their reaction when they talk to me is not that they can't believe they were flooded. They always they say, when we bought our house, we were told it was out of the floodplain, and, and it wasn't out of the floodplain by six inches or a foot. You know, they thought they were five feet out of the floodplain. Mm -hmm. Yet now they've been flooded twice in a 16, 17-month period, and it just shows how how serious and how severe the problem is that the combination of overdevelopment up and down that floodplain in all these cities and counties combined with the effects of climate change, combined with a landfill that should not be where it is, and I don't, I'm not trying to pin down blame that it's there, but that landfill should not be in that floodway right there at Valley Park. And then you add in a new levy. It's just a combination of a lot of things that has really led, all of them have led to this dramatic increase in flooding and all the damage that the residents and businesses have seen. And we need to all get together and think creatively. First of all, we need to stop making the problem worse by stop development, stopping new floodplain developments in the region. And second of all, try to think creatively about solutions. So you've heard some of these individual stories from businesses and residents. How traumatic is that to have your house or your business flooded twice in the, you know, the span of 16 months? Well, thank goodness it's never happened to me, so I can't speak personally. But as somebody who has talked and listened now twice, I can tell you that these people are just devastated and frightened about when is it going to happen the next time. Business owners have been down, shut down for weeks at a time, and some of them had flood insurance and some of them didn't because, again, these are people and residents and businesses that were a couple of feet above the floodplain and were told they didn't ever, they wouldn't ever need it. Mm -hmm. So they've suffered financial losses. We've, I know there's been business, many businesses that closed at least for a few weeks, so employees laid off for a few weeks. A lot of businesses are trying to move. If they were in those floodplains, now they're looking at moving, but it isn't worth anywhere near what it was before these floods, so they're having trouble selling their, their property to move to, to higher land. So they're not digging out just from the mud, they're digging out from a financial standpoint. Absolutely. I mean, they're having... And how, and how, much, how much are the taxpayers on the hook for some of this stuff? remains to be seen the final totals won't be out for a little while but but the taxpayers are on the hook a lot substantially the national flood insurance program should be a self self-sustaining program where they raise enough in premiums to pay out what they need to pay but it isn't it isn't close to it at all it's heavily subsidized by taxpayers so when FEMA pays out all these claims at, for both these storms and many others all over the country, taxpayers are subsidizing that. And that's a bad thing for a number of reasons. A, if living in the floodplain is subsidized by the taxpayers, you're going to get more of it than you otherwise should. You don't want people, you don't want to subsidize right. living and building in, in the floodplain. Right. And I, I'm not talking about people here who suffered because they didn't know they were in the floodplain. I'm talking about people who who know it and choose to do it anyway. You sure. don't want to subsidize sure. that. If you're, if you're going to do it, at least pay the cost of it and don't have taxpayers on the hook. And that's what 
some local officials like County Executive Steve Elman in St. Charles have talked about that, sure, most people are responsible, but there are some people who live in the floodplain who, as the, the saying would go, there's a small percentage of people that when the flood comes up, they're moving the furniture down, mm-hmm. not out. Mm-hmm. And that's there's 1% of properties, they're called repeat loss properties in the flood insurance program. 1% of properties account for almost a third of total claims across the country. And these are repeat loss properties that just know the system yeah. and know that don't ever claim 50% of damage of your property <laughs> because because that kicks in the, the mandatory buyout. Yeah, I don't you see know. a lot of properties left down in, uh, along the Merrimack because I, I ride the greenways down there. And I, you know, just in the last five years, so many properties have just disappeared. And I think it's because... These floods have been so cataclysmic, you just you just couldn't rebuild these things. And most people are responsible. I want to be clear, it's 1% of repeat loss properties leading to a third of claims. That means, you know, of 99% of properties, property owners are probably being responsible and accepting buyouts or taking their claims and building higher, doing what they should be doing. But we've got to change the National Flood Insurance Program to have stricter lifetime limits to, to cut down on that abuse. That'll save taxpayers money and make the floodplain safer if we can get these, these small number of people who refuse to move if we can get them to to move either by saying you're i'm nobody's talking about somebody's going to come in and haul them away but yeah. you can cut off the insurance you've now received enough that you're done either move or the next flood is all on you yeah so so there's some stories out there that upstream from valley park and sunset hills and kirkwood that eureka and pacific may be considering building their own levees are we going to get into a, a levee building contest to try to address these issues well, that is a huge concern going forward, and that would be the absolute worst result of, of these floods, to have, to have the next round of levy wars, and this time to see them on, on the Merrimack. I hope not, and we will fight that, that tooth and nail at Great Rivers Habitat Alliance, and I hope other, I hope other people realize that, that is, this was a, these have been problems caused in part by man-made structural decisions to develop in the floodplain and build new levees and the like. And more structural, more structures along the river are the last thing that we need. Mm-hmm. We need to pre- prevent new floodplain development. We need to think of creative solutions for existing developments and perhaps existing levees. Nobody's, nobody thinks they're gonna take down the Valley Park levee. But I'm hoping that the Corps and other engineers and other citizens can try to think up some creative solutions that, that result in the con- less constriction of the river along the levee. So, so, so what is a, a creative solution? I mean, do they need to build some huge water retention areas that they flood? Upstream, what's what's an answer? No, I think I think Professor Bob Chris at WashU and others are, are hopeful that the Corps is willing to make some changes to its levy. To he he maintains and he's studied this for his life, his whole life, Professor Chris. He maintains that it, at certain at the I think it's on the eastern end of the levy, it overly constricts the river. It's out too far, and that furthermore there are other developments in that area that also constrict the river too much. And if we can, perhaps through buyouts for some of these other commercial properties, and perhaps through the Corps agreeing to make some small changes to its levy, perhaps they can reduce the constriction of the river right there at that turn, right there at Valley Park and Fenton, where, where, the, where the river makes 
a big turn, and Professor Chris maintains that developments over the past couple decades have overly constricted the river, and that's one of the reasons why it backs up mm -hmm. so fast in mm -hmm. Valley Park and Fenton and, and back to Eureka and Pacific. Yeah, well, that big bend in the river is right near uh, the Kirkwood Park, and I know it's, it's just the erosion from these last couple of floods is like taking away the park. A absolutely, and we've got to... That's When I say creative solutions, I'm not an engineer. So I know what P Professor Chris says. I know what I've heard some other informed people in the area say. But I still have faith that if people, including the Corps, can come together and admit there's a problem and admit that maybe some changes to the levy and changes to some of the floodplain developments can be made that and put some money towards it, because of course it's going to take money, mm -hmm. that hopefully they can reduce the constriction of the river. And then the next step is to end any new floodplain developments up and down that river, mm -hmm. which is going to be hard enough to do, as obvious as it should seem. And then, and then the next step going forward is try to find spots to connect, to reconnect the floodplain to the river, to restore wetlands, to yeah. expand floodplain, to reduce the severity of the next flood. Because you know what? With climate change here, you know, we're going to see this again. Climate change is a part of this discussion. It's not necessarily the major, it might seem strange to people, but I think scientists think that floodplain development is definitely a larger part of the reasons here. Floodplain constriction, river constriction, but climate change is a, absolutely plays a big role in it too. Yeah, I, I know. I, I was watching Al Gore the other night and he was showing some graphics of these what he calls water bombs that the, uh, you know, because the atmosphere is changing, it's holding more water, we can just expect these kind of superstorms. And I was just talking to my sister in Kansas City who two weeks ago, they endured like an eight inch rainstorm in the matter of uh, a few hours. So it's it's not something isolated to St. Louis by any stretch of the imagination. Well, we've seen the, the just, the, you can't even comprehend the level of snow that California got mm -hmm. in this past winter. And it's one, for the, to the fact that it ended the drought in most parts of California, it's a wonderful thing. And But the amount of snow, water, and just precipitation that that area of the country got is yeah. record-setting. Record so, right, it's not just a freak thing in St. Louis. It's happening everywhere. Yeah, I, I think it's important to note, too, that this isn't a problem just isolated here in the St. Louis area to those in Fenton and Sunset Hills and Valley Park. I mean, when we had that last flood, you had traffic snarled. You couldn't go through 44. You couldn't come up Gravoy. You couldn't come up Tesson Ferry. You couldn't come up Lime Ferry. I think it's woken up a lot of people to that this is a regional problem. Right, and it's a, look at the floods that they had just a, a week ago, two weeks ago, in southern Wisconsin and northern Illinois. I mean, they had a rain bomb up up there, but it's not just the rain. It's also just floodplain floodplain development. And those states have tighter rules than Missouri does. And if they didn't, it probably would have been worse. But there was an incredibly unusual flood right a couple hundred miles north of us just in the last two weeks. And just devastating results. This is Flooding is far and away the worst, nat the most expensive natural disaster we have each year, according to FEMA documents, mm -hmm. and it's getting worse, mm -hmm. not better. So what of the future for meeting together and trying to find some solutions? My understanding is that the Fenton mayor was a little frustrated at the last meeting because they really couldn't accommodate the number of people that showed up. And the residents were kind of unhappy because they couldn't address their questions to specific, you know, government organizations that were present. Does that spell the end of these public meetings, or, or where do people go from here to try to get some answers and some solutions? 
Well, I, I hope not, and that's a that's a, a tough that's a good question and a tough question. I think people need to realize that this is a it took a it took a, some time to create <laughs> this problem, and it's going to take some time to address it. And unfortunately, there's not one there's not one realistic simple solution that the core, the State Department of Natural Resources, St. Louis County, and Fenton or Jefferson County can do here to fix this problem tomorrow. Although I would say that it is possible for the local governments at least to right away stop allowing floodplain development mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. would be that would be an improvement but it, that would at least prevent the situation from getting worse mm-hmm. but it might not make current problems it much better so that so that can be done short term the otherwise this is this is a, a long-term problem and i think that the at least the businesses that we're talking to in the region many of them seem to accept that uh, the one, some of them that have been the, hit the hardest just want to move, and you can certainly understand that. But some other businesses in the region who have suffered issues but haven't been heavily damaged, I think they realize that they're in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. They've got big investments in that area, and it's time to, and they've, they're willing to, to take on a project that might take several years. Yeah. And I hope some of the residents understand that, that as well. Look, if you're being offered a buyout to your property, because the buyout program is focused on residents, not businesses, for, for better or worse, residents have a, more options than businesses do in these situations. Right, right. Uh, so, so the residents, if you're being offered a buyout, my only advice to the, those who've called here or who've asked me is that you need to really seriously consider it. And I think in most instances, take the buyout. I, I would... I don't want to, I don't like to telling people what they need to do with their lives or property but if you're offered a buyout you should take it and you should move to higher safer ground and and I think that's a good expenditure of yeah. tax money that in the long run saves money. But that's not so easy to do if you have built a giant soccer park and I was at the Fabi Cat Tractor Company for their 100th anniversary last week and I was talking to their president he's talking he was how happy he was that he's got land that they you know, turn into a cornfield during the summers as kind of a buffer, but they but they see the water creeping closer. You know, a house you can you, you can relocate, you can sell out, but there's also some big companies that you know the water's getting closer. And in the, in the case of the soccer park, I think they had a million dollars damage just with the first flood. Oh no, these businesses are in a tougher situation, right? The federal, the state aid to businesses is much, 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 much less in its total than to residents. So these businesses are in a much higher, tighter bind. And I've been I've been impressed again that some of them at least are willing to think they're in it for the long haul and. And also, many of them are willing to take a regional perspective. And the last thing, again, you want is for the the businesses in the area and the cities to all just demand their own levies. Mm -hmm. The worst reaction here would be that 10 years from now, we had six or seven big levies (laughs) along the Merrimack instead of just one. Because you know what? Those levies will probably protect the people or businesses immediately behind them, but they're going to just move the flood to somebody else. Some, somebody else along the Merrimack, some other business or home, which is not affected now and doesn't expect to be in the future, will be affected. Yeah, I should, I should never stop. They're only they're only moved to some to some unsuspecting person. And that's just the absolute wrong way to go about it. But unfortunately, that's what we've been doing for yeah. a century. Yeah, I shouldn't laugh. But I, when you were talking about that, I was thinking, yeah, the, the whole region might start to look like a, a medieval landscape with castle walls around every, uh, you know, place that can afford them. 
Well, right. I mean, you, you, it's laugh or what are you going to do? You, you laugh or you cry. Mm-hmm. It's, but we've been following a policy on our major rivers in this country of relying on levees for a long, long time, particularly after the, the floods of 1927. They made changes to the southern Mississippi, the lower Mississippi. That's extensive levying. And, and you know what? Again, provided the levee doesn't fail, and, and levees certainly do fail, you just you might protect what's there, but you're, you're just moving it to somebody else. Yeah. And we've got to get a long-term... The only long-term solution is reconnecting the rivers to their natural floodplain. Yet here in St. Louis, we're looking at what Maryland Heights is doing. You know, the, the Maryland Heights and the Corps and others approved a giant levee along the Missouri River up in Maryland Heights. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to develop those whole 1,800 acres that is protected. I'm using air quotes on the word protected by, by that levee. And now 1,800 acres of asphalt and concrete for water that will be, instead of permeating into that land, will be pumped back to the river. Is your organization taking a position on that uh, huge hockey facility that they want to build in the Creve Corps floodplain area? You know, we've, we've made a tough decision as an organization that we're keeping our focus where we've been for the last year and a half, which is opposing the larger 1,800-acre development mm-hmm. nearby, which is, that's going to continue to be our focus. That While, while San Kroenke got involved and we thought we had a victory, it, it looks like it's only a short-term victory. Maryland Heights is still looking to, to actively develop those 1,800 acres. So we're keeping our focus on, on that part of the development. There's a number of other g- groups opposing the the ice Mm -hmm. rink there Mm -hmm. so we're keeping the focus on the 1800 acres as well as the merrimack and the and the enormous port of lincoln project up in lincoln county that would just be devastating to the region Mm -hmm. as well as another some other smaller projects too we only have one full-time person here we also have a a part-time employee so there's only there's only so many resources that we have to employ sure well well, tell us a little bit about Great Rivers Habitat Alliance. You were, you were, um, I guess, founded in 2000. Is that correct? And, and what what became your mission? And what was the genesis of the organization? Why did people feel that they needed this organization? Well, it it came about after the flood of '93, when in the ensuing years after that that flood, and a lot of our a lot of our co-founders had land and property up in St. Charles that was that was underwater in 93. And then in the ensuing years, they, they saw that nothing was being done differently, that floodplain development in Chesterfield and St. Charles and other parts of the region was going on unimpeded, despite the, the lessons that we should have learned from 1993. Right. So that's what led to our founding in 2000. And, and ever since then, we're, we're focused on preserving the confluence of the Mississippi, Missouri, and Illinois rivers, that sort of general area, and opposing floodplain development as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those images from the 1993 flood should be ingrained in St. Louis's mind, whether it's the failure of the Chesterfield levee or, or what happened in Volmeyer across the river in Illinois. Those were, were dramatic scenes. I lived in St. Louis at the time. I was here that summer, so I remember it. I remember it pretty well. And yet, the lessons we learned from the Chesterfield levee, which was holding all of that water, is that well, it was a levee that failed, and the water went where it naturally was intended to go by Mother Nature. Yet we built a bigger levee and paved over the entire area with giant outdoor shopping malls. And we're repeating that lesson. Right. We're repeating that up and down our rivers, including the Merrimack. And then we wonder why the water gets to the river faster than it used to do. More water gets to the river faster than it used to. And we have this incredible flooding. Yeah, these they build these levees kind of in isolation. And it seems to, that they're not taking into account the other levee upstream and downstream that's being built. Um, 
Right, or if, or even if there isn't a new levy, you know, you build the levy, you make your calculations, and then, then nearby somebody somebody puts in a new shopping mall and changes the entire math of, of the river hydrology with a floodplain development that displaces water near nearby. It's it's a combination again of overconstriction of our rivers through levees and other devices, too much floodplain development up and down our rivers, and climate change. Those are sort of the three things that all combined are seeing we're seeing the results. We're living the results of more flood, more frequent and more severe flooding up and down our big rivers. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your organization. You have some heavy hitters on your board and uh, GRHA supporters are some pretty well-known names. Who are some of these people and what attracts them to your organization? Well, a lot of our a lot of our board members, co- we have many co-founders who are still on the board for, you know, 18 18- 17 years now, 17, 18 years. And a lot of our other donors, yeah, they're they're people who've just been loving the St. Charles floodplain area, the Lincoln County, St. Louis County floodplain area for years. And people who've owned land and property out there for decades and decades Mm -hmm. and want to protect it, want to preserve it for the next generation, Mm -hmm. for recreation, for sportsmen, for for just biology, for holding the water, for uh-huh. for having natural places where where the water is intended to go, and people people like to say, "But we built a levee; it's 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 protected." Well, uh, so I always point to New Orleans and Katrina for what happens if if Mother Nature's definition of a floodplain disagrees with FEMA's definition of a floodplain. Mm-hmm. You know, Mother Nature's going to win. So and. And yet we go on and on and on with thinking that we can control and, and regulate these rivers. And up and down the Mississippi, we're seeing, we're seeing levee districts, independent local levee districts, just behaving extremely irresponsibly and thinking only about what's good for their, mm-hmm. for their supporters, for the people right behind their levee. And the Corps, the Corps has done some great work on the Mississippi identifying local levee districts that have built improperly high, built, built higher levees than authorized often by instances of two to four feet higher than authorized. And they've got about, I think, eight or nine levy districts that they've identified north of St. Louis up through Iowa doing this. And that's not something to be, that's not a minor issue. These are, these are levy districts that are improperly building higher than allowed so they can send water to, to other people. And it's got to be it's got to be stopped. And the Corps is trying to enforce some of these changes, and we'll see how we'll see how effective they can be. So, just looking at these supporters, it's it's such a diverse group. You've got Purist Vodka, you've got uh, the Boeing Company, you've got the NRA, you've got uh, Island Explorations. It's just fascinating to me. How how does such a diverse group? What motivates them? What's their interest in this? Well, the the interest is preserving the floodplain. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a shared interest in preserving our our floodplain. And mm-hmm. whether you come at it because you're a sportsman and you want to preserve it because you love it to, and you've hunted it and your family hunted it, right. or whether you're an environmentalist who sees, like Professor Chris, who sees the important biological bi- habitat role that the floodplain plays in storing water and, and filtrating water and the wetlands in the floodplain and all the, the great work for our, for our ecology and habitat that that, that does. There's, there's no shortage of, of great reasons to oppose floodplain. You can, you can oppose it from the perspective of, of just somebody who's politically, fiscally conservative who hates the subsidies that often accompany, almost always accompany floodplain development. If these developers had to take on their own risk to build in the floodplain, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. It's, there's always a tiff involved. Yeah. And some of our 
some of our successes as, as an organization have been to sort of some small but important reforms to tax increment financing laws in Missouri. Yeah. And there's always a subsidy involved in the front end. And then we subsidize the flood insurance through general taxpayers during it. And then in the end, when the next flood damage inevitably comes, taxpayers are subsidizing the, the, the bailouts of, of the people who are there. Now, I'm certainly not objecting to those. We have to help those people sure. who are victims of flooding. But the smarter decision would be not to allow it in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I've often thought so, that environmentalists, you know, they take sort of the idealistic approach on these causes, but they, they might make more progress if they went to the taxpayers because there's such, such a strong anti-tax sentiment in this country for so long. Well, there's all sorts of great reasons to oppose floodplain development in, in our region. I mean, our region was founded because of the meeting of these great rivers. And, you know, no other place in, in North America sits at the confluence of rivers like St. Louis does. Mm-hmm. And, and flooding is, these rivers def- define us, they're our reason for being. They're, they're also can be dangerous. And our decisions have made that danger worse. Our yeah. decisions over the past century have taken the system that Mother Nature had, which was to give them a wide floodplain berth so that big rivers could expand slowly. Big rivers aren't supposed to flash flood like creeks. They expand slowly. There's plenty of time to, to if you need to move higher, you move a little, you move higher. Yeah. But our changes have caused these big rivers to flood much more quickly than they used to and just increase the danger absolutely i mean people are dying in these floods this isn't this isn't just property damage these last two floods we've seen along the merrimack and elsewhere have have killed people mm-hmm. and it's it's incredibly important that we that we fix this well, it's just gonna one, be hard but we got to do it just one last question do you have any advice for people in fenton or sunset hills or eureka or pacific that have been affected by this? Do you write a letter to your congressman? I mean, what, what, what do they need to do to put some pressure on people to get some answers and solutions? Well, if you're in the buyout zone, you should strongly consider taking the buyout. You should probably take the buyout. If, you, if you're not, you need to realize, you need to talk to the most doable thing, as hard as it's going to be, it is, it is, it is doable, is to convince the local counties and cities to stop authorizing new floodplain development and to impose tighter floodplain development restrictions in the St. Louis region. Yeah, well, you know, so, one, one thing, when we have the elections every two years for the first district congressman um, who represents the area, well, really, you could go first, second, and third. Where should this issue be on the top 10 list of issues that, that they need to think about for representing constituents in this area? Well, I think it needs to be a very, very high one. I mean, this is this is a public health. It's a public safety. It's a it's, it relates to commerce up and down the rivers. There's all sorts of the rivers are incredibly important to this region, and they're because of our own choices, primarily because of our own choices, they're doing a lot of a lot of damage. So I'd love to see the core assist. Now, the core is not opposed to tighter floodplain development. That's a that's a state and local choice we've made not to do that. So, but I would love to work with the core state agencies and local governments to stop floodplain development to not allow 1800 acres in maryland heights to to be turned into asphalt and concrete to not allow 7,000 acres in Lincoln County in the floodplain and farmland to do the same thing. Uh, the city of St. Louis approved this lighthouse development program near 270 where where they took 70 acres and they put fill on it and built it out of the floodplain. Well, that's great for those 70 acres, but they're going to, they put somebody else into the floodplain mm-hmm. by taking 70 acres of fill and moving it, moving it out. Yeah. And 
that's a real problem is how, how people are allowed to just take land and, and take dirt from elsewhere and put it take their property out of the floodplain. Mm-hmm. And it just moves the problem. It puts somebody else in danger every time you do that. And we need, and I'm not somebody, Don, if you know my politics and know my, know my history and, and my prior jobs, I'm not somebody who always says the solution for everything is a new government regulation. Yeah. But in this instance, as somebody who looks at this, studied this, looked at it carefully, yeah, the one of one part of the solution is more consistent and tighter regulation of floodplain development. Well, thank you, Dave Stokes. I appreciate your time this morning. Um, Environmental Echo has been talking to the Executive Director of Great Rivers Habitat Alliance, and uh, once again, we thank you, Dave. Well, this was great. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the work you're doing, Don, and uh, I look forward to it. I look forward to hearing the podcast and look forward to continue reading you, covering it, and all your papers. Well, thank you. Have a good day, sir. All righty. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. This is Don Corrigan for Environmental Echo. I hope you enjoyed our interview today. Have a good green day, folks.